A Mouthful of Air, a poetry podcast with Mark McGuinness. Return to the Terminus by Cathy Pimlot Too often now I sway into the night, that cosy winter dark between tea and the turning out of pubs and cinemas, a late traveller fogging a rattling bus. See me on the upper deck with the dogs and other coffers taken up with smoking in that sophisticated way, dragon nostrils. I shouldn't keep going back, I'm already yellow beyond scrubbing. These comfortable excursions just won't do while all the while life howls for attention. Last year, a clever man I knew a bit courted a death he didn't believe in. Visiting, face it, out of a desire to be blessed, by happenstance I was invited into the scan, into the intimacy of his scarred insides, to witness a death sentence. 90% sure, but ah, that golden 10. First question, can I still have a drink? He died, swollen, in a hard clutch. And now this other man, mine, heads that way too. But anyhow, look, here comes the whip-smart clippy, machine grazing her hip, its crank and buttons primed for pernickety fares. Only she commands the bell. One for stop, two sharp dings for go. If I don't tell you, how will you ever know about that bronco ride of side benches, the fear of slipping right off the bus as the driver speeds, skips, stops, reckless on corners to the end of his shift? It's late, so join me. Grip the pole. Lean out into those bright, melancholy lights. Cathy, where did this poem come from? This poem is an amalgamation of two poems. Um, that I was writing simultaneously. Um, one of them, I think you could say, was sparked off by, uh, well, looking out of my window, I look onto a very busy um, main road um, where the buses come along. And I was looking out one night, and what I can see is I can see the upper deck of buses going past. And you're in central London, right? I live in central London, yes. I live in Covent Garden, Um where it comes up to meet Soho, so I'm very Mm -hmm. central. So I was looking at the buses coming past, and at night, when it's dark, um, as dark as it gets around here, which is not very dark, and the lights are on on the bus, and you maybe Mm -hmm. get one or two people on the upper deck, and that's who I can see because I'm on the second floor looking out of my window. Um, And so it was that, 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 that seeing them and thinking about buses 
maybe 40, 50 years ago when it was a different sort of bus. It was a bus called a Routemaster in London, but certainly yeah. the same sort of bus all over England, mm -hmm. where the upper deck was for people who smoked. So you went upstairs to smoke. Um, <laughs> also, if you had a dog that wasn't a guide dog, you had to take your dog upstairs as well. Um, and the, the, the experience of buses then was quite different. Um, they, they did rattle along. They had a bus conductor or conductress who came round and issued your tickets. Mm -hmm. and, the, and the tickets weren't an, all for all single price. They were very finely graded for however many stops you were going on. Um, and the buses sort of rattled around. And if you sat near the door, the door which was open, it was an open platform that you got on and off. And if you sat on the side benches near that door and you had a particularly nippy driver, you did feel like you were going to get <laughs> thrown off. If you, when you were little, you feel like you're going to get thrown off because the seats were a bit slidey as well. And there's that pole at the back, isn't there? And the pole at the back and the platform, yes. I remember these in the late 90s when I lived in London. They were still going around. And it was always yeah. quite exciting to grab the pole and get on just as it was leaving. And it, was, exactly. it never felt quite amazed that they were allowed to do it and the, the bus conductors would as it came up to a stop would hang out mm. to, to to see how many people were waiting to get on and whether there was enough room for them as well yes it was a very exciting experience <laughs> those buses so really I was thinking about I was thinking about that experience and all of the um the, the physical sensation of that experience and at the same time I was writing a poem about the death of um, a friend mm -hmm. um, and somebody said something. I think it was Susanna Evans, a poet up in Sheffield, who writes a lot about the future. And she was having a conversation on social media and said that um, she, she was bored with poems about the past. And I, it's difficult. It's difficult if you are an older person because you've got more past than you're likely to have future, and there's still quite a lot to mine. So mm. I was. It made me. It it jolted me into thinking that point of you know all the time life howls for attention while I'm doing all of this, thinking back about the past and 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 going through that material. So that's how it brought them two together, really. Uh, yeah. So it's an amalgamation of two, and then the the. The, tr the work was to try and make them work as one poem. Poets do like the past, don't they? I mean, you know, there's words where famously said that poetry is emotion recollected in tranquility. So yeah. you, you, you have to experience something and then reflect and recollect. And, and I mean, that's kind of part of the, the whole stance of a lot of poetry, isn't it? I think so. I, I, think, I, I, I guess people have different reasons why they write. Mostly, I think why why I write is to try and make sense of things that are lodged in my head, mm -hmm. and that might be a story or an image or a memory um, or an emotion. And a lot of that for me is in the past. You know, it's what what constitutes me really. It's what happened to me over the last nearly seventy years. So, yes, yeah, so there's there's a lot of it there to work with. But I do understand for some people their poetry is moving forwards into the future and addressing those issues that loom in front of us. Um, I just don't do that. 
is all I can say in the end. I just don't do that. But, you know, it's a very kind of human predicament that the, you know, that the eye of the poem, who obviously we should be careful with identifying yeah. necessarily with the poet. Um, but this, the start, the second verse, I shouldn't keep going back. And obviously I'm curious about going back where. I'm already yellow beyond scrubbing. And these comfortable excursions won't do while all the wildlife howls for attention. I mean, that's quite a human situation, is it? To be doing one thing and to be thinking, I should really be doing something else. Yes, that's that's it. That's where I thought the I could fit the two poems together was to sort of acknowledge what I'm doing is dibbling around in the past and 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 not wallowing in it, but enjoying it, um, enjoying the memory uh, and the evocation of the sensation of this experience of being on a rootmaster. Um, so if I acknowledge it, then I can incorporate what's happening now which was this big event mm. of death so the i there is is me really i think saying you know yeah i can see why people say i shouldn't do this and i shouldn't do that because these big things are happening now mm-hmm. and this big thing is is a very personal thing a personal thing of an individual dying it's not it's not a it's not a universal um cataclysm it's a very individual cataclysm um yeah so that that's that's where the eye of that comes in so it's to say yes i know i know what i'm doing i know that there is all this stuff happening that i should be engaged with and here i am engaged with it but no it's too much for me you know Mm. let's go and look at the clippy who is the bus conductor and again you know the the portrayal of the dying man is is so human you know that that golden 10 percent you know, the, know. E- even even faced with the seemingly inevitable, can I still have a drink? Yeah. I mean, that's such a, a human response. And I think it is. I think, so as they say, this actually happened, you know, it did mm-hmm. actually happen. In a lot of the poems that people write in the eye, including me, it didn't happen. It's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a construct that you build in order to examine something else. But this did actually happen, and um, I felt it was such a. I think it was important to 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 have the actual detail of that um, because it is the highly individual response, which you know is a response that alcoholics everywhere <laughs> are mm. going to are going to have in that situation. You know that they are. Yeah. So I, I I wanted it to be there, even though I feel it's I'm slightly. I'm very uncomfortable with it. I'm very uncomfortable in using other people's experience. But what I hope that I'm doing is doing the vividness of the life howling for attention there. That's why I allowed myself to put that in. Again, it's always a, a question, in, I think, in poetry. How how much of real life do you put in? How much, and, and as a reader, you know, how much of this is real? Because without giving the game away, you and I were chatting before we started recording and there was one or two poems in the collection <laughs> that I said, oh, that was amazing. And I thought it was a flight of fancy, but actually it turned out to be true. Um, yes. <laughs> the readers discover those for themselves. But, you know, if you're reading Kathy's book, be alert, I would say, because, you know, quite often the, the truth seems to be stranger than fiction. Yeah, I think it is. I think it is. And that's what makes it interesting, isn't it? If it was all... Um absolutely verifiable in every detail, fact-checked, it wouldn't be so interesting. So you 
started off with two poems because, and I wouldn't have guessed that. What I and I can see now, it looks to me like you fitted them together very deftly. Because what I noticed was, it's obviously it starts on the root master, and then the speaker goes into this reflective mode. You know, last last year a clever man I knew a bit, and that's you know quite often when we get on the bus, it, we drift off because someone else is driving. So could you say something about that process of how you, what, what made you think, oh, I can put these two together, even though there's one's about a bus and one's about this dying man? Well, it was, um, I think it was to a degree that neither were working individually. Hmm. So I think it was, um, the bu- take the bussy bit, <laughs> the bus journey <laughs> bit. Um, I, I, I work with a uh, workshopping group every Saturday, mm-hmm. most, most Saturdays, yeah. a group of poets who, and we have done throughout um, the beginning of the lockdown, and they're mm-hmm. all over the country, they're not London-based. And I, so I take, I take my work there and workshop it, and I've taken both poems, I think, and in both instances, they hadn't quite worked. So the, the bus one, I think the response that I remember was was it wasn't said like this, but the, but it was so what? Okay, you know you're talking about something, <laughs> you're talking about it very nicely. Yeah, you know it, 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 it's a tra- it's a it's musical, it's attractive, mm-hmm. but so what? But so what? And I think the death. Where is this bus going? Yeah, and this death one, the deathy one. Um, I think I just hadn't found I hadn't found the way through it yet it was just it it probably was too much information um so yes so there were two poems there that weren't quite working on their own and the impetus to put them together was to acknowledge was to acknowledge the um my proclivity to towards a sort of not 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 nostalgia because it's not a love but just an interest in the experiences of my past and 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 my my tendency to go there in order mm-hmm. to write in order to find things that I want to write about so it was it was fine as i said before it was finding that um that intense experience of the now which i think going into somebody's death sentence is is pretty much as intense as you can get really yeah um and so that seemed it seemed like an answer to the so whatness of the bus question. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's, yeah, I would say that that was it. And looking at the death thing, well, subsequently, I had a much more personal death happen in my life. My husband died. And so now, right now, I am examining all of that. So I am writing a lot of extremely mm-hmm. painful and depressing poems about death so I I've been able to park the whole of that whole of that poem which I'd segued into uh, uh the, the bussy poem unfortunately I have been able to park all of that and, and and to spend more time looking at the effects of death um in in other work so yes so that's how they came together that's why they came together how did I do it? Just by fiddling around, Mark, is how I did it. <laughs> to use the technical term. <laughs> to use the technical term, yeah. But, you, I mean, it, it works beautifully because you've, you've kind of topped, I guess you've topped and tailed it with, with the bussy yeah. bit, um, which is, you know, quite satisfying from a kind of narrative 
perspective. But, and also that, that personal death is in there in just one line, isn't it? Yeah. And now yeah. this other man, mine, yeah. heads that way too. And there's, and I've just realized when I'm saying that, that's why the speaker says, but anyway, how? Look. Yes. Hit, yeah. You know, and that's the distraction. That yeah. anyhow is doing a lot of work, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It is that, no, well, I don't want to think about this, you know. <laughs> Let's go and look at buses of the 1950s. <laughs> right. And it is and it's a glorious distraction. I mean, the, you know, having ridden the rope master, not quite with all the smokers and the dogs up on the top deck, but there's always something weird going on on the top deck. Um, it certainly was. It, it's so evocative, you know. The one for stop, two sharp dings for go, and the bronco of the side benches. And but then I think what happens is so that so most of that, most of not necessarily in the exact way that it's there, but most of that was already there in the so what poem mm-hmm. about the baths. But I think it gains something from. The death bit in the... Sorry, this is terrible, isn't it? The death bit in the middle. <laughs> I mean, this is how it, you have it, to think about it when I you're do, putting it I together, think about isn't it? it? I think no. it gains because it becomes... She becomes... The, the, the clippy, the um, bus conductor, becomes something else. It, it beca- it be, the bus becomes something else. Other th- even though the detail of it is the bus, it does right. sort of become something else, I think. And that happened not by me setting out to make that happen because that was there before I injected mm. the present day in it. Uh, but it just does become something. It casts, the shadow is cast over it. That- uh, yeah. Can I entice you to say anything more about what that something else might be? Well, I, I think it's, I think, yeah, it's a journey towards dying in, in, a, in a certain sense, isn't it? It's the journey towards dying. It's... It's uh, the lack of control. Um, it's the fear and the exhilaration. Uh, and for me, it is late. For me, it mm. is late. You know, I'm, I'm, as I say, I'm 70 this year, so it is late. So I'm saying, so that join me is that, you know, it's, it's really asking for leave <laughs> to make these comfortable excursions. Right. Which in the end, in the end, don't turn out to be that comfortable. You know? No, no. So I, I, I know people see, write, some people see writing about the past as quite cosy, but it's not really. It's not really. Even for those of us who've had a blessed life, you know, it's, it's not that cosy. Yeah, because the bus is really going one way, as we know from the it title, is. don't we? The yes. Terminus. Yeah. Um, do you know what it, the poem it reminded me of a bit was the Louis McNeese poem, Karen. Which so it starts off with a bus conductor going through London, and it gets stuck, and they get down to the river, and because London is so crowded, and and he doesn't say why London is so crowded. Then they get down to the Thames, and the bridges are blocked, and there's the ferryman, and it's Karen. Oh my god! (laughs) And he looks at he looks at the traveller, and he says, "If you want to die, you will have to pay for it." (laughs) (laughs) Quite right too. That's, That's exactly right. That's exactly right. The pernickety fares, you know, it's exactly That's right. That's it. You know, you know, death and taxes were even beyond death. You know, yeah. you've, you've still got to keep paying. But it's got, I mean, without laying it on too thick, it certainly felt, you know, you say something else, it, it, it felt that it's quite significant. You know, at the beginning, it's the, um, 
almost like you know the the train spotters or the bus spotters guide to the route master <laughs> and at the end you've still got all those details but you've got the sense that this you know this this bus is gathering momentum and we're being swept off our feet and yeah, yeah. you can either be afraid of that but actually it's it's wonderful that you've got that that kind of romantic lift grip the pole lean out into those bright melancholy lights it's like you know the smith song there is a light that never goes out you know that we're gonna we're gonna embrace that or at least that's what i got is that is that what yeah i think so i think also for me and i don't think this is the case for any reader necessarily it just takes me back to the initial impulse of looking out my window and seeing the lit the lit mm. upper deck of a bus which is melancholy and bright and strange um and here in in london in central london at night it is bright and melancholy to my mind it is you know everywhere everywhere you go at night here is very brightly lit but it's got got an element of melancholy about it or maybe that's just maybe that's just what happens when you get older mark i don't know everything turns melancholy (laughs) It does, but to poets, there's always a tinge of melancholy. I don't know, it makes me think of those, maybe it's like the London version of the Edward Hopper paintings, you know, where you've yeah, got all yes. these dimly, brightly yes. lit bars that look just, just so kind of devastatingly sad. Yeah. Yes, it is that. I think it is that. that. that There is that element in it. Certainly upper decks at night where you've only got two people on do have exactly that same aura, that same, that same uh, feeling for the viewer. Yes. <laughs> with occasional fear. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, let's let's think about you. So, you've already talked a bit about how you you put the bits together of the poem. Just thinking mm-hmm. about how you assembled it, and you've got this structure. You've got so if anybody's listening to this, you haven't seen the text yet. Do obviously check it out on the website. But you've got four stanzas, seven lines each was that the original arrangement did that form evolve from something else um no i don't think so i think both i'm trying to remember i think both poems both of the poems that are used were blocky in this way i don't know that Mm -hmm. they were necessarily this number of lines but they definitely weren't couplets or Mm -hmm. triplets i use i work a lot in couplets yeah. Um, I find I like the space that that gives and the lightness, but the material of this seemed denser. Uh, mm. um, and bus, you know, buses are buses are sort of that shape, that oblong they shape. Are, and, quite four square, aren't they? Yeah. You know, so it's that that. So I think I did start already blocky. Mm-hmm. And why did this go into seven lines? Because I don't know. Because looking at the line breaks and where, you know, where, where I was going to turn lines over and how, how it's little sense breaks come in. That's just how it worked out. I don't think I, I did, you know, you lose, you look at it and think, well, this could be what this could be. If I could just lose that one line, what this could be is four verses of seven lines Mm. and how very annoying it is one of them has got eight lines and in that instance you will find somewhere to take a line out or to squeeze a line so two lines so it becomes one line and I'm sure that I did do that at some point that and but that would have been towards the end where I've say just got one line that's really annoying you know uh, yeah uh, uh, like a tuft 
Yes, exactly. It needs trimming. And either you just cut it all out or you you find a way of knocking two lines together by getting rid of unnecessary words in it, however much you might love them. Exactly. Sometimes they need to be sacrificed for the greater good. They do, don't they? And so you've, I mean, roughly each stanza is a um it's a different scene isn't it you start off on the bus and then you i think so yeah definitely with the first stanza that's that sort of setting up the premise isn't it Mm -hmm. i I think um and then the second one is allowing the present in Mm. and then the third one is half and half really it's it's yeah. still carrying on and then go, oh, no, I'm not going to look at that. <laughs> that's it. It's like you don't want to go too far into that scene no. and that train of thought. And that's, yeah. the, you know, that's the anyhow at the end, which yeah. is yeah. a real pivot. Yeah. So that shifts that that round. And then the last one is is going back to the bus, but with a new, slightly new take on a new understanding of the bus, I think. None of this, none of this, Mark, is in my mind when I'm writing. None of it. I'm just writing. Right. I'm just writing what I can remember and what I think about and where, where it takes me. I'm not thinking, oh, I know what I'll do is I'll do this and I'll do that and I'll do that. I'm not thinking that at all. And I certainly wasn't thinking that in relation to this poem. So I start from free writing. And is, is that something, you know, were you like a duck to water with that attitude? Did it take you a while to kind of trust the writing part of you to get on with it without planning it ahead? I think once I'd learned that, once I knew that that was how you did it or how I did it, mm-hmm. uh, and a lot of people do it that way. Yeah. I'm not, not, yeah. I'm not sort of saying this is my own invention. It's not at all. But once I understood that that was a way of writing, that did work for me very and does, continues to work for me very well. So I will always start with, there's something I want to write about and I don't know why I want to write about it. Sit down, you can sit there for half an hour or three sides of A4, whichever is the longer, and you're going to write. And you're going to start off with the line that's annoying you. So it might be actually an actual line or it might just Mm -hmm. be, I don't know why I want to write about this, but something happened here and I want to. And just carry on writing. And then looking at it and saying, is there anything there? Is there anything there? And then taking out that thing that you think is there and then writing again in that way. Right. And then at some point, it starts to make a shape. And that's when you then start, right, okay, this is the work. <laughs> this is the work. And that's the exciting thing about poetry, isn't it? But also the scary thing. Yeah, because it doesn't always come to anything. You know, you can, you can actually write quite a lot. Or I can write quite a lot and it doesn't come to anything, but it doesn't matter. Or, or even worse, maybe you could come to something and then and then feel the urge to say, but anyhow. Yes, exactly. <laughs> which, exactly. which I think you've done just beautifully here, Cathy. You know, you've Thank really, you. I think you've taken us far enough down that road that almost we can fill in our own blanks. Yeah, I hope so. And, and we will all have blanks. Yeah. We'll have more and more of them as life goes on. Yeah. But also, you, you know, the bits that aren't blanks, You've given us so many great details to divert us with, especially in the description of the bus. Thank you, Mark. Part of what I like about writing, um, what I enjoy, is the sound of the words. So, for example, primed for pernickety fares. 
gives me a great deal of pleasure. <laughs> As, and so it should, because it does for us too, or and, it does for me at least. And only she commands the bell, one for stop, two sharp dings for go. So that's <sighs> where you you just do that. It's so it's beautifully you know, mimetic, isn't it? So I like I like that. In in a way, that pleasure in that is something quite different from um, what it's about or anything like that. And and I understand how I can get totally carried away in it. And I really have to, to cut things back a lot because I get I get carried away in a pleasure of just language of playing with the language, um, both in terms of its rhythms and in terms of the actual. I don't know, plosives and, and the long vowels and things, how you put them together, how you put have like a really long, sinuous sentence that you don't know it's ever going to stop and then you have to find a way of stopping yeah. it. I like, and the use of breath, how you use breath to, which you use in, in terms of how, how long you structure your sentences for and things like that. But you generate emotion through the breath the use of breath mm. well I do for yeah. me reading it and I hope the reader does too if they, if they are sensitive to the to the to, to the punctuation shall we say um yes so that's that's something absolutely and this is something I think has always struck me about your writing is this there's always lots of things to savor you know they're quite sensual that some of the you you will describe if like there's another poem where you've just got this great it's almost like an inventory of the pantry <laughs> And um, it, it's just such a beautiful description of what it's like to go into a real old-fashioned pantry and all the stuff that's in there that you, you. I mean, I remember going to my my grandmother's pantry when I was small and just 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 being eyes agog mm. at all this stuff and and the language that you use to evoke all kinds of things and actions throughout the book. It's maybe I shouldn't say this, but you know, it's a it's a book of poetry that you can really enjoy reading i'm not saying you don't always enjoy reading all books of poetry but there's there's a lot of fun things in here i hope so you know, there's a lot of kind of sensuous pleasure yeah i hope so in the language i hope so because i mean that is that is the joy of language for me it's always been the joy of language is just the playfulness of it and the and the just the the, the feeling of it in the mouth yeah, is, yeah. i love it I just yeah. love it. So uh, it's something that I have to be careful not to be too self-indulgent with because, my God, you know, I can go on like, uh, down that track forever. Sure, but, sure. So I have to pull it back, but I want it there because why? Why would you speak without, without speak to others without sharing some of that pleasure? Yeah, and why do it in poetry? Because it could be prose and or, yeah. uh, you know, a drawing or something. But this yeah. is, yeah, if you're going to do it in words, really do it in words. Yeah. So thank you, Cathy. That feels like a lovely point to hear the poem again. Thank you, Mark. Return to the Terminus by Cathy Pimlot. Too often now I sway into the night, that cosy winter dark between tea and the turning out of pubs and cinemas, a late traveller fogging a rattling bus. See me on the upper deck with the dogs and other coffers taken up with smoking in that sophisticated way, dragon nostrils. I shouldn't keep going back. I'm already yellow beyond scrubbing. These comfortable excursions just won't do while all the while 
life howls for attention. Last year, a clever man I knew a bit courted a death he didn't believe in. Visiting, face it, out of a desire to be blessed, by happenstance I was invited into the scan, into the intimacy of his scarred insides, to witness a death sentence. Ninety percent sure, but ah, that golden ten. First question, can I still have a drink? He died, swollen, in a hard clutch. And now this other man, mine, heads that way too. But anyhow, look, here comes the whip-smart clippy, machine grazing her hip, its crank and buttons primed for pernickety fares. Only she commands the bell. One for stop, two sharp dings for go. If I don't tell you, how will you ever know about that bronco ride of side benches, the fear of slipping right off the bus as the driver speeds, skips, stops, reckless on corners to the end of his shift? It's late, so join me. Grip the pole. Lean out into those bright, melancholy lights. Return to the Terminus is from Kathy Pimlott's debut full collection, The Small Manoeuvres, published by Verve Poetry Press in April 2022. She also has two pamphlets with the Emma Press, Elastic Glue, 2019, and Goose Fair Night, 2016. Her poems have been published widely in magazines and anthologies. Her poem, Close-Ups in Lockdown was one of just 20 chosen for inclusion in the Poetry Archive's Now, Wordview 2020 collection. Cathy was born and raised in Nottingham, but has spent the last 45-plus years living and working in Covent Garden, specifically Seven Dials, home of the broadsheet and the ballad. She has been a social worker and community activist, worked on a political and financial risk journal, in arts television and artist development. She currently earns her living as the administrator of a community-led charitable trust. A Mouthful of Air is a poetry podcast hosted by Mark McGuinness. New episodes are released every other Tuesday. If you enjoy the show and you'd like to help me reach more poetry lovers, you can do this by telling a friend about it or by taking a few seconds to leave a rating or even a brief review on Apple Podcasts. If you would like a full transcript of Every episode sent to you via email, including the poem text, you can sign up for this at amouthfulofair.fm slash subscribe. If you'd like to follow the show on social media, you can find all the links, as well as a full episode archive, at amouthfulofair.fm. The music and soundscapes for the show are created by Javier Whaler. Sound production is by Breaking Waves, 
and Visual Identity by Irene Hoffman. A Mouthful of Air is produced by the 21st Century Creative, with support from Arts Council England via a National Lottery Project grant. Thank you for listening. I'll be back soon with another poem.